0: This is the EP Growth Podcast from Hunter Rehabilitation and Health. We are here to grow the exercise physiology
1: profession through supporting the professional and personal growth of young EPs in the industry. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share some important information. If you want to stay up to date with all things EP, then please join our Facebook group, Exercise Physiologists Australia and also our LinkedIn group, Australian Exercise Physiologists. We also have an Instagram now for EP Growth. So if you search EP Growth on Instagram, you won't miss anything related to EP, and all those gold nuggets will be there for you to share. So enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the EP Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan McCarthy, the Director at Hunter Rehab and Health, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, Paul Ikemedes, the Environment Health and Safety Manager at Metcash and Exercise Physiologist as well. I won't forget that one. How are you going, Paul? Good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Very excited to have you on the the episode today, mate. Uh, Yeah, we see you as a bit of an expert in the workers' comp area and you've spent a fair bit of time recently in in that area. So I'm really keen to get an insight into into your world there and then expand the knowledge of, of young EPs in the industry. Happy to help. It's awesome, great to mate. be here. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Well, um, yeah, first off, just give the listeners a bit of a background in terms of, yeah, uh, where it all began, you, you, you are an EP. Um, but then I am. How, yeah. How have you gone from uh, EP to... Safety injury manager, injury safety. management and safety. So yeah, I started, man. when did I
0: start? I started I started uni in 2006. So I was, uh, well, I mean, it's now retired. I was a combo student. So I spent... I spent three undergrad years at Cambo, um, which was a great time. Yeah. Um, and then once that once that finished, I actually ended up going and doing the masters straight away. So back then, EPS still had to go out and get their own hours, and that was the the fun time when they went from 150 to 500.
1: <laughs> um,
0: so I was in my second year when ESSA changed that. So that kind of changed that kind of changed everything for a lot of us. Um, a lot of people ended up. Uh, probably like a third of the course ended up going straight over to the masters of physio. Um, others went into other uh, allied health professions like speech, OT, um, podiatry, um, and then. Uh, so I then went on and did the masters, finished my hours, and then started started in in clinical rehab. And my first. Uh, my first placement was actually in outpatient cardiac rehab um, and that was at Ride Hospital and that was a heart failure clinic and that's probably where you found most EPs actually. Um, In 2009, it was in outpatient cardiac rehab Um, and I ended up enjoying it um, and was lucky enough to stay in cardiac rehab and then worked as a cardiac tech Um, So I kind of started specializing in that and um, moved over to Westmead Rehab and ran a phase two cardiac rehab outpatient program. So that was an exercise and education based program. We ran that once, twice a week. Um, And I then was able to convince the physios who were running that department that um, you should start growing us um and get some more EPs in because um especially for knees, backs, um, and hips for post op rehab, um, you know, most of what Physios was doing were was exercise. It was just exercise rehab. Mm. So um from there we actually managed to start building and we ended up getting about three EPs before I left. Um that was back in twenty twenty twelve, and then um, jumped over to London for a year and a half, and did the famous sabbatical that
1: a lot of Aussies did. Um, I checked that out. Worked. actually. I I did it yeah. the same time you were there. Oh so, really? Yep. And I was also working in an NHS hospital as well. Yeah. So that's crazy. And NHS at NHS was NHS was great actually because
0: um, you really learn you learn a lot in acute in acute rehab um, well acute. I mean acute hospitals um, and I mean ex don't live in that system there. They very much live through sports science, um, unis and sports teams. Um, so going over there, probably very overqualified to work as a physio assistant but um, gave me huge insight into um, respiratory phys or like very acute cardiac stuff um, and then also as well. So it was a great, um, had good leadership and it was a great team. So huge experience. Um, and then came back to Australia pregnant and uh, well, not me, my, my now wife um, and needed a job. And I made the jump into Oka Rehab and I kind of haven't looked back ever since. That was my, that was my last clinical, my last clinical EP experience was in London 10 years ago. And now, ever since then, I've just gone and gone well into workers' comp. And if you speak to anyone who is in workers' comp, they will tell you that once you're in, it's very, very hard to jump out. Um, kind of sucks you in and keeps you. It's a small industry, especially here in New South Wales, and um, it's full of a lot of good people who've been in the industry for a long time. Um, so it's it's that's kind of where my journey's taken me um, through Hawk Rehab. I don't know what other OcRehab Rehab uh, consultants are like, but you kind of get to a point where you want to be able to start influencing a little bit more within employers. Um, so when the opportunity came to jump over to Metcash, um, I took it, and it has been a huge, huge learning experience for me. Being on the employer side is a complete gives you a completely different perspective. Um, as an EP, because you start taking control of your own premium. So the types of treatments, costs, doctors that are seen, um, the engagements that you have, those relationships, they're the most important things that you then start building. Um, And then having a network of treatment providers that you can use around you, local to your sites, will then massively change um, your outcomes.
1: Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what Metcash is and, and also the, the difference between uh, working yeah, as an insurer based or, or employee base? So, so management advisor. I,
0: I actually, so I, and funnily enough, I'm now between jobs cause I've actually just finished up. I've actually just finished up at Metcash and I'm moving across to another company next week. Okay. Um, so okay. where I was is a large, uh, large employer So where they were, well, they're a large uh, wholesaler and retailer, um, supply groceries, liquor and hardware to um, uh, independent suppliers as well as corporate stores. Um, So, you know, on the list, there's Woolies, there's Coles and then IGA comes in underneath. So Metcash Supply, all of your local IGAs, friendly grocers um, that you'll see out in the community. Um, And they're mostly run by, you know, Small small retailers, mums and dads, as well as um, people who've built a network of supermarkets um, and liquor stores out out and around. So a lot of the work through uh, through that company is um, manually moving boxes, um, and the the way we look at manual handling and the way that regulators have looked at manual handling has changed significantly over the last 10 years. You know, where uh, manual handling training used to be the massive focus for everything, um, the regulators and research has shifted to, well, if this is classed as hazardous work, then it's about redesigning the work yeah. so that it's actually easier for everyone to do. And that's kind of what's pushed me into safety is my drive for injury prevention. So even in injury management, even in OC rehab consulting, um, you're still very much on that reactive side. And like most EPs, we are there after the fact. Um, So being able to sit on the other side of the fence and start doing more proactive things where you can look at how we can prevent injuries by redesigning work, has kind of led me to now where I am.
1: Yeah, excellent. So, uh for example, if if there's a treating EP and they're they're looking after a worker and they're looking at yeah. the stake, stakeholders that are involved, there's yeah. a rehab consultant on there on the, the client yeah. doctor, there's a case manager, and then they say injury management advisor. Can you just yeah. like like so an EP knows so, what's that person doing? What like what, do you, right. what is the what is the so goal? So
0: the, the there's been a. The industry shifted quite a lot in the last five years where large employers have realised that uh, when you can bring someone uh, with an allied health background into your own business and have them manage your own claims internally, you cut out that need to have to rely on somebody outside. So a lot of times um, we actually... Don't use rehab providers because someone like me, who's done been in op rehab and moved to a large employer, would then manage their own caseload. So then, the best thing about that is we know the business, um, we know what our premium model is, we know what the duties look like, um, and we know how we can influence our stakeholders. So for a treating EP, the first thing they'd be wanting to to, to ask for is a job profile. So a lot of the times when we, uh, large employers will have job profiles where they've already set up what the tasks are, um, frequency of movements, what kind of weights they're lifting, um, how often they're doing that every day. What's that, what that's going to give a treating EP is way more guidance into how they're going to tailor their program so yeah. that they can design that that program to then get them back to, which is always the goal, is pre-injury duties. Yeah. All right. Um, keeping those and then keeping those lines of communication open with whoever it is, maybe if it is the rehab provider, then it's the rehab provider, or if it's the injury management advisor in within that large employer is probably the best way to go forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We can't stress, uh, stress that enough, the communication. that We hear that all the time and it's just... Oh, so yeah. Important um unfortunately everyone's doing it but yeah communication is absolutely key uh in that sense so i guess uh just going back a little bit you come back from come back from london you've got straight in the workers comp um scene and the workers comp industry it's it's a whole different world in itself it's it's got its own jargon it's there's a lot of information to understand uh what was your biggest challenge sort of getting started uh in it all probably um
0: Make, making sure you can build relationships and rapport quickly is probably one of the hardest things to be able to do. You're meeting someone when they're at the most vulnerable, you know. With, with the work, workers, you mean? With workers, of course. Workers, yeah. 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 With workers. So that's probably the most, that's probably one of the most challenging things to do is to be able to build that rapport quickly, keep it, and then uh, make sure you keep the rest of the stakeholders happy as well. Um with treating EPs, I mean, it's, it's it's I mean, I'm just gonna say communication engagement is, is genuinely the most important thing. 90% of, of of our roles is is comms. The rest is, you know, actually doing our job. If comms are good, um, workers are happy, employers know what's going on, everything will just usually work itself out. There's outliers everywhere, and you know, that's always gonna happen no matter what. Um, whether that's treating providers, employers, workers, there are always outliers everywhere where there's not always someone who's, you know, at the same table, but for the most part, it doesn't usually happen.
1: Yeah. And from the employer point of view, uh, do you have a, do you have a say in the treating providers or do you have preferred treatment providers? So or I think
0: that... that's, that's probably the, the best thing about being on the employer side is that, you start building a network of um, providers that you've used before um, that are local, have good comms, and get you good outcomes. Yeah. Um, so when you when you when you do that and you start that and your workers start using them, um, word gets around, and there's nothing stronger than word of mouth on the floor. Um, between workers, because as soon as as soon as some workers know that your physio is good, you've got a good EP, um, you've got a good doctor, that are all there to just help and there's no other agendas behind that, it makes the entire process significantly better.
1: Yeah. And obviously within workers' comp, uh, one of the key attributes of it is that the worker does have choice over their GP and, and treatment. Yeah, of course. Is, um... Yeah, is that, is that ever a challenge where, where they, they're quite fixed in like, no, I want to see uh, yeah, this, this person or, or this person or are they always uh, always yeah, pretty guided definitely. By, by what you say?
0: That always happens. I mean, there are people, some people who will want to see their family doctor and if that family doctor has a physio or EP or um, whatever that might be attached to their practice, then you just end up having, having to work with them. Yeah. Um. And then you then team up with the insurer to do that. Yeah. And make sure that you just keep those again common lines. It's, yes. it's the most important thing.
1: Yeah. Hundred percent. Um. And then obviously, what your uh, what you're measuring on in your role, I guess, is is return to work outcomes. Is that is that correct? Like, in, well, in- yeah, return right? to work outcomes and
0: and costs. So, um, there's two two different premium models in New South Wales that exist. So there's a conventional model and then there's the LPR model. So there are some employers who are on a conventional model and on the conventional model, that's where um, the only costs which directly affect premium renewal is wages paid. So that works if, for example, employers have uh, quite a few claims that, you know, they they, uh, have a lot of sites and they they possibly might struggle. Or there's not so large employers and they don't have anyone internal to manage their um, their workers comp program um, and they outsource to rehab providers um, and brokers to help out with that. That what that means is that when their premium renewal comes up, they carry their three year history with them. Um, so large claims roll over and those claims costs continue. Um, and they will continue to affect that premium for three years. Okay. The other type of the other type of premium model that exists is an LPR, which is a loss prevention model. Um, that's where employers who have very good workers comp schemes um, in place and good programs will move to because what happens is is that all of the costs accumulated on the claim no matter whether it's allied health, whether it's rehab, whether it's medical, whether it's wages, all of those costs will affect the renewal premium for next year.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So when an employer is on that type of model, all costs coming into play will make a difference. Um, And that's where IMAs like I was, um, and there are in also in other companies, will start to tightly manage those types of premium models because it has a significant impact on then what your renewal looks like the year after um, and then the year after that. Because those types of schemes, those types of models usually run on a three or a five-year plan um, where adjustments are calculated based on performance on the year before. So there's... And that's probably the biggest... That's probably the biggest learning curve as an IMA inside an employer that you learn um and it differs each state has different types of premium models um this is what exists in New South Wales and I mean the last five years in New South Wales has been a uh, let's go with challenging uh minefield with what um the previous system looked like and what this current system looks like it's almost gone full circle. So in 2018, there was five five scheme agents. Um, then we went back to one and then it went automated and then we got another one back and then another one back and here we are five years later with another five scheme agents and your choice. So yeah, full it's, circle. Um, it's tough. But yeah, yeah. I think um, a lot of treating EPs probably don't know what, um, especially unless they've worked in an insurer, what the different types of premium models are out there, and then how they affect and how they affect employers.
1: No, absolutely not. And correct me if I'm wrong. There's there's another one for for small businesses. Small, and there's one,
0: and sorry, and there's the one for the small for the small businesses where um, those premium those those costs don't impact um, depending on what your WIC rate is. Um, so your workers industry your workers comp industry rate, um, which everybody has depending on the type of industry you're in, and that's based on a risk. And that's done, uh, calculated based on risk, depending on industry. Yeah. Um, but all premiums are going up, unfortunately. Um, state government this year were nice enough to jump in and uh, cap it at 8% um, as opposed to the 22% that was uh, suggested by iCare. care. Yeah. Uh, but that's what it is. It yeah. is what it is. And we just have to work within whatever those boundaries are.
1: Yeah, and uh, can you give us a bit of insight into, uh, I guess, a breakdown of of the costs on a claim? Uh, like, what uh, I'm not sure if you're able to answer this or not, but like, what percentage roughly would would go to uh, like allied health treatment, medical? Is 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 wages the biggest cost on on a claim, and what percentage is? It's-
0: Craig, it's, look, it's a good question. It, it always depends on the claim. So, ortho, I mean, orthopedic, like musculoskeletal injuries, you're looking at. Um, medical at, medical and wages is usually your highest um, your highest percentage of claims costs um, and then you'll move into reports and then usually allied health depending on the provider is usually at the lowest end okay. um, so we don't usually see um, treatment costs unless there's surgery involved and I mean that's borderline medical um, where you know, you have a cost of you know, you have a blowout of, of, of costs. Unless someone's being seen three times a week twelve for twelve weeks for a you know, a lower back a non specific lower back injury. And yeah. you're like, okay, well, something's something's gone wrong here. But yeah. no, for most for the most part, wages, medical investigations and then allied
1: health. Yeah. So that's always just been my philosophy, I guess, just assumptions is that it- uh, with allied health treatment being the lowest lowest end and wages being the highest end, our job as EPs is to, yeah, reduce that wages bill and, and increase the hours on their certificate yeah. to, um, to save save their money. So I've always had the belief of just, yeah, like uh, front-loading those appointments, early intervention, get it all done at, at, at the start and then get it back as quickly as possible. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I've had arguments with case managers about approving a $10 massage ball and we're arguing about 10 and $20 on a claim sometimes. yeah.
0: Unfortunately, the and it depends on the case manager and the insurer and it also depends on what kind of pressure they're under from the employer or the broker. So there's always that to consider, especially yeah. if it's a, a rehab consultant that's managing it. You may not always get what's happening at the employer because you're only ever getting it secondhand. Right. Um, so there's a huge... Huge opportunity for EPs, treating EPs who want to have done Oc Rehab or don't like or want to move into this space um, to be able to make a massive difference as, you know, injury management advisors. Um, yeah. It is a pretty steep learning curve um, when you're managing multi-million dollar premiums in large companies. But, you know, it's also it also gives you a much more rounded perspective of the industry and where it's going and how sustainable it is and getting outcomes for, for your own team members.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I can feel it. It would probably be more meaningful and you can have more of an impact than I guess, just being a number at EML or GIO or something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it, and look, they, they, some of them do have
0: large caseloads. It's not like the old days where it's um, I have 120 claims to manage um, they they've, I think they've realized that, you know, having that kind of caseload is not productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I don't know maybe there are insurers that still do that, but it, it's really unlikely considering what's happened over the last couple of years. Um, and if you're a larger employer, it is, it is a little bit easier because you can have dedicated case managers rather than just having to call a support team. Um, but. You know, it's still, it's, still got a long, it's still got a long way to go, I think, the, yeah. the industry and, and case management in general because it hasn't, I mean, for the most part it hasn't, case management is case management, you know, it is what it is. Um, but with the scheme as it is now and insurers investing in case managers, in upskilling them, um, I've noticed that turnover has dropped quite a bit. Um, well, with the insurer that I was with when I was at Metcash, um can't speak for other employers but um it's it's been a very it's been a we've had a very good experience with our insurer
1: yeah yeah we're slowly slowly moving in the right direction uh can you give us an idea of uh what would be an average caseload for an injury management advisor with an an employer i guess great huge question like it could be
0: it could be it could be as low as like five it could be you know 20, 20 to thirty. It could be, it could be fifty to sixty. Like yeah. it's, it really depends on depends on your workplace. Depends on what the workplace culture's like. Depends on what the workers' comp um, cultures like. There's union. There's also uh, the the impact of unions. There. Um, it really, it really just depends. Yeah. Um, you know, you want as an injury management advisor to run with you know the lowest amount possible yeah um you also understand that in a in industries where people are paid to move things occasionally there are just going to be musculoskeletal injuries you know you want to do everything you can to avoid them but you also have to understand that actually that is that is going to happen at some point but then you have the ability to go okay great so how can we avoid this type of injury from happening again because you're in the you're in that you're in that space you've got the the tools you need and it's it's actually great to be able to start that injury prevention process whilst you're in there
1: yeah 100 uh oh, excellent i've got a um very interesting question for you now uh talking about sort of workers' comp system and, and improving it as well. Uh, looking at sort of return to work rates for uh, musculoskeletal conditions with, within the CIRA data, it's roughly staying the same, maybe one or 2% better, but return to work uh, rates are yeah, roughly the same within uh, physical claims. They're probably getting worse. I think they are getting worse in site claims. If you had $10 billion and someone handed you $10 billion and said, improve the workers' comp scheme, what are some of the key things? Like you're in this every day. What are some of the key things that, like you, you go through your head every day? Like I wish this was better. If I had ten million dollars, I'd I'd put this in place, or uh, we could improve this, or we can improve that. If you had ten million dollars, and yeah, what would you do?
0: I think I'd I'd want to I'd just want to have GPs upskilled. You know, it's it's tough because we allied all allied health providers have to have some type of workers comp accreditation, training, um, CPD points that have to go towards, you know, ongoing learning. Um, everyone should have, be able to have the choice of provider and, and doctor, but they should all have to have specific workers kind of accreditation to work in the scheme so mm-hmm. that everyone can actually, everyone understands that yes, we're looking after the worker, but we're also making sure that they get better. And work is, good work especially, is positive, not detrimental to their recovery. Um, in, terms of, in terms of anything else, the, the system is, is working so far. I mean, it could have been, it could, if, it, if it had stayed as it was five years ago with a few changes and, kept, and keeping the, the agents that were there it, it probably didn't need to go the ma- undergo the massive transformation that it it had to. It was always going to change, but did it need to go the way that it went? No, probably not. Um, more more money back to employers for prevention programs, um, whether that's things like wearables um, or plant buying new plant that they can use to be able to do that. Um, Actually, also maybe upskilling workers on what, what workers' comp is and why it exists. Um, most of the time that's left to employers and employers will, some employers, depending on who they are, may not give that much information out. Um, but just a lot more plain plain English stuff about what workers' comp is there for, why it's there and, and you know, how it can be used to, if, if it needs to be used. It's, yeah. I don't know. No one's kind of ever asked me that question before, um, because really, it, it relies on it relies on so many moving parts, and um, you know, there's always going to be uh, an outlier in in like I said before in that in that chain. Whether it's an employer, a doctor, a surgeon, uh, a physio, an EP, an OT, no matter what. As long as you know, if every provider was fantastic and did everything we needed to do, then every then our return to work, return to work rates would probably improve. Yeah, I think I think unless you unless employers move to complete order start complete automation of things, um, as long as you pay people to move things, there are going to be musculoskeletal injuries. Where I think EPs treating EPs have a huge possibility to enter the market is corporate health programs so on-site physio is a massive uh has the industry specifically has grown a lot in the last like five to ten years um where you know there are employees that have gyms on site um, and then physios come on um to you know once or twice a week for early intervention stuff um you know, if EPs wanted to branch out and reach out to employers, if they had gyms and say, you know, are you interested in offering, you know, um, group sessions or one to one training in the gym at reduced costs or subsidized costs to workers? You know, there are employers who are interested in actually doing that. Um, because if you're, if you can actually start getting on the prevention end of things rather than just having to sit. Always on the, the reactive um, and rehab side, then you're going to have companies who, with workers who are happy, who are healthy, with less take less days off, um, and ha- actually have the work made easier for them because they're in better shape. But that's kind of where I've I can see EPS can have a bit more of an influence in this industry, not yeah. just being on that reactive side.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's a great answer, mate. I think, uh, yeah, I asked the question because who knows, we might have some uh, key decision makers listening to this uh, episode. And then uh, if not, like, I think the way that we're heading um, just with due time, next five, 10, 15, 20 years, who knows, we might be sitting in very uh, key positions that, that make, these, um, make these decisions. Yeah, maybe. So who knows? Who knows how how it progresses? But it's um it's good to plant these seeds, and I, I hadn't thought of some of those uh, solutions e- either. Because sometimes you're just complaining about the system sometimes, or wanting to get better. But yeah, there's um yeah some very key solutions there. But you're exactly right around GPS, like for them to be able to have yes yeah, CIRA accreditation and have uh, CIRA accredited GPS uh, that you know that have done the course and they've got a little yeah. Uh, accreditation stamp next to their name, you're like, okay, cool. I know this one understands the system. <laughs> At least uh, I think that's going to be very beneficial. And, I, and I've been saying it for quite some time that, yeah, we need to roll out some sort of large GP education. Because I go out on on the weekly basis and I do education yeah. to GPs about workers comp. Uh, and it is very surprising. They don't know how to fill out a certificate of capacity. They like, like they don't know uh, what it means. Uh, so there's uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, room for improvement in that sense for sure but I think that was a great answer mate um, so I think uh, yeah just wrapping things up I guess what I ask this question to uh, to every guest on the, on the podcast and it's and it's what makes the best EP uh, in Australia so you've obviously worked with some great ones so we have a lot of EPs listening to this podcast and I want them to get different perspectives from different uh, individuals to see like in their eyes, what makes the best DP. So if you were to work with the best DP in Australia, what are they doing? What are they doing on the daily basis, weekly basis? What what skills do they have? What, what, is that, what does that look like uh, to you? I mean, for me, the biggest
0: the biggest thing for me is lifelong learning. So the a lot of us, whether we're in OCR rehab, whether we're in treatment, whether we're... I mean, I'm no longer in any of those. Um, it's lifelong learning. So challenging yourself and challenging what you know or what, and what you believe when new research comes out or other people have opinions. It's not about obviously taking it on and believing it, but it's actually challenging yourself to say, okay, that's a different way of thinking or, you know, I've not thought about trying these exercises or this type of treatment or whatever that might be, but a good, a good or the best EP is someone who doesn't know everything and someone who will always look to challenge themselves no matter what and, and look at learning all the time.
1: Excellent. That's a very unique response. We haven't had that one before, but it does make perfect sense when I think about the the types of individuals that are like that. They, yeah, they're very successful, and I want to work with them. When I think of the individuals that are very fixed mindset and they and they're stuck in in their ways and they refuse to look uh, at anything else, then yeah, you know, yeah, they're not really getting uh, the outcomes or, or building relationships with key stakeholders because they're very fixed. So, um, yeah. A great answer for, for the listeners, there be always learning. Always learning. I heard a, a really good um analogy or just a, a saying the other day where someone said to me, Uh, the 20 CPD points we need to remain as, a, as an EP. They said, Do you understand that's the minimum? Like, that is the minimum, yeah. Like, you know, we can, and I was like, That's exactly right. Like, everyone's so obsessed with just getting to that 20. And I'm like, If we were to do 30, 40. I think it would like investing in ourselves, in our own learning. I think it yeah. investment, will um, whatever courses we're doing, we're getting that knowledge and, and we'll, be, we'll be reimbursed for it later down the track. But it's, um, yeah, we've got to understand that those CPD points there minimum of, of 20. We can be doing a, a lot more if we really want to. Yeah. And it's, um, it is, it is good. I actually,
0: I just finished my grad dip in safety, which is why, and I just did an entire, Entire module on on learning and leadership, and um, you know my lecture was was is all was always every week is you know lifelong learning is 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 what it is it's lifelong learning how you do it and what types of mediums you you use is up to you but you should always be looking at lifelong learning.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, and uh, yeah, I, I heard another one uh, the other day about. Yeah, taking advantage of your your commutes in in the car. You've got a university on wheels. They call it a university. Yeah. Wheel. Um. Yeah, I know myself will listen to podcast or a book every single time as soon as I hit, hit the radio. The radio is just absolute junk these days, so it's always a book or a podcast in every. And you can get through yeah a book every two weeks, and if you got a thirty minute commute to work back back and forth, so it's um yeah take advantage of that, and I think you'll be very successful. But that's a great um a great bit of advice for the listeners. Uh, that's about all we've got time for, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Thank um, you. It's been great. Yeah, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. Just the, the finer details about uh, premiums and and your role as well. It gives everyone a greater insight and appreciation to the extra work that uh, that goes into it. And I think also uh, the opportunities that, that are there as well to work closer with employers. It's something um, I haven't really thought about to, to be honest too much, but there are some large employers that obviously need some some help in the prevention space and, and uh, and also a treatment space, but I think uh, we're making good progress. And there's uh, but there's a long way to go. Yeah, of course, definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries at all, mate. Uh, so where can people find you if uh, if they want to ask any questions around uh, any of the stuff that you do? So LinkedIn is
0: definitely the best way to to get me. Um, I've, you'll just you can just find
1: me. Um, just send me a request or send me a, a, a private message, and um, I'll happily get back to you. Awesome. Yep. I'll put that link in the show notes for anyone who wants to reach out to Paul and and ask any questions. Other than that, mate, uh, take care and I'll speak to you next time. Thanks again. Bye for now. See ya. Hey guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the EP Growth Podcast. If you would like to be mentored by one of the high-performing exercise physiologists at Hunter Rehab and Health, please visit epgrowthpodcast.com and click on the mentoring page to learn more. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends so we can ultimately grow this profession together. Thank you.